Welcome back, brothers, to the Command Center. I'm a little wiped out today. Had a rough night, but I thought I'd share this with you. I was working on this, and I can, so I will. So, I want to share with you a story about the prodigal son. This story is a, one of my favorites because I guess it resonates with me. So many times I've seen myself as the prodigal son. This was written in the... So the only place you'll find this is in the, in the Gospels is the book of Luke. Luke was, as far as I know, he was the only Gentile that wrote uh, any of the Gospels. He wrote, of course, they wrote the book of Luke, and, and this has been disputed, but I think most people agree, and most likely the book of Acts as well. He was a physician. He was a friend of Paul. Kind of interesting, just a side note. I don't know if it's relevant to the story or not, but when you look at how the different apostles that wrote the Gospels, how they, you know, the things that really made an impression upon them, take Peter, for example. Peter was very much impressed with the miracles pertaining to the fish, right? As we know, Peter was a fisherman, and Peter knew a miracle when he saw it when it came to fish, right? So when he lowered down his nets and the catch was so great of so many fish that it was about to burst and had to call their friends over to help them, that's probably something that had never happened before. That made a strong impression upon Peter. Now Peter's seeing a different miracle. I'm just speculating here. For example, a great healing, you know, not being a learned man. You know, maybe he would have dismissed that as a natural phenomenon or just the specific talents of a great physician. But the fish he couldn't deny. That was his trade, and that's what he knew, and that's why God performed those miracles, custom-tailored them in a way or in a manner that uh, would really speak to the individual man. Now, Luke was a physician, as we know, a learned, educated man, classically trained, most likely. And he writes, uh, he shares this story that Christ told, and I'll share it with you, and we'll comment on it here a little bit. might take us down, uh, we might find some rabbit holes to go down, but we'll see. See how we go. Go grab your Bibles, pause it, flip to Luke chapter 15. And this is Christ speaking. A certain man had two sons, and the youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he had divided unto him his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Let me break it down for you Barney style. The old King James is not for everyone. So we've got a boy here that um, premeditated. He wanted to get out from under his father's roof. Knew his father was a wealthy man, kind and generous man. Knew that he had an inheritance that he was to split with his other brother. I believe it was his older brother. So he conjured a plan and thought, I know what I'll do. I'll get my inheritance from my old man and I'll go out and I'll go to town and I'll have a real good time. And that's what he did. His father, we don't have any record that his father even questioned him. He was a generous man. He gave him his inheritance, probably of some substance. And the story says a few days later, off he went. You know, he didn't go right away. 
you know, it was probably in his mind, he perceived or he conceived this plan way before he spoke to his father, I would imagine. But to keep up appearances and not to alarm his father, he waited a few days and was a dutiful son and until he felt the time was right and off he went. Now, we don't know what he did exactly, but uh, his brother elaborates a little bit. Most likely he got into drinking and whoring. <laughs> so, and probably gambling, uh, but uh, went off the rails, so to speak. You know why this story speaks to me so strongly is because I've, I think maybe I said I've considered myself to be the prodigal so many times, and this is a a wonderful story that Christ shares with us because what it's talking about is it's it's telling a story and and it's giving hope to those of us who have tasted the goodness of God, known we've come to God and maybe even had been baptized into the church and and experienced that peace that that um, defies all understanding and have fallen away. You know, and that's for, you know, for me, I mean, that condition, when you find yourself in that condition is, it's so much worse than before, before you ever knew when you hadn't tasted of the goodness of God. But once you have, and then that's been removed from you, from your for your own choices, when you separate yourself from from you know the love of God by choice, it is a it's a really tough time. It's a really sad time, and having tasted of that, I guess you could never really ever recover from it. You could never really have peace. I mean, you can cover it with things. You can cover it with drugs and alcohol and vice and stuff. But, you know, when your head hits the pillow, when, you know, when it really gets down to it and you're honest with yourself, you know, you, you understand your condition. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and he took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. The King James... Pretty conservative translation. There's a lot guys should read in between the lines. I think we can. It goes on, and when he had spent all their their all their when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Well, hard times came. You know what would that be in our days? You know maybe a depression. The famine in those days was usually related to weather. Uh, food became scarce. When food becomes scarce, and resources get more expensive. And he had wasted his money, and he didn't have anything left, and he became in real need. It's basically, he was homeless. So he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, swine, if you don't know, is that's pig or pork. And to a young Hebrew boy, this would have been the lowest of the low jobs that you could have ever had. You know, I don't know if you know this or not. I think most people most people do. But, but pork is not food. And surprises me that more people who, who are Christians don't, uh, don't understand this. You know, a pig is a trash compactor. It's not, not suitable for food. And... We're going to have to do this because it comes up every time, you know, of course. Everyone will run over to to uh, Peter's vision. Let's go over there and take it out of context and say, no, 
no, God's made everything clean. Uh, that's that's the old. That's that's been that was nailed to the cross. We don't have. We're not under that Levitical law anymore. We uh, you know we can do whatever we want. So we can eat salamanders, death cap mushrooms, horses, cats. Come on, man. Come on. Some things are eternal. Let's go over there and check it out. All right, so we have to go over to, let's see, let's head over to Acts chapter 10. Let's get to the bottom of this pork nonsense here. Acts chapter 10. So I'm going to paraphrase this, and I'm going to give. I'm going to take it out of context, like all of the people in the comments are going to do to me to try to make a point that they, uh, you know, I call it the one-legged stool point, taking one verse or one scripture and building an entire theology around it instead of line upon line, precept upon precept, as a t- instead of taking the whole sixty-six and finding out for sure what it says. But we, context is important, wouldn't we agree? So if we take this out of context, we know the story. Peter was uh, out evangelizing, and he was uh, decided to go in, up on the rooftop and pray. And then while he was praying, God gave him a vision. And in this vision, he lowers. Peter sees a sheet being lowered down that's just full of all sorts of unclean animals. Okay, let's read it, and then we'll explain it here. Sorry, the wrong page there. And Peter, he saw heaven, he saw the heavens opened, and a certain vessel descended into him, and it had been a, it, as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let down to the earth. So imagine a great sheet, square, rectangle, whatever. It's got a rope on each four corners. It's being lowered down. This is his vision, being lowered down. It's a great sheet. It's huge, full of animals. And inside the sheet it contained all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, of wild beasts and of creeping things and of fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He kept the Levitical law. Of course, he was a Hebrew, right? He would have been raised that way. Wouldn't have eaten anything unclean, strangled. He followed the Levitical law. And he's reminding, he's at a conflict here, right? He's like, why is God telling me to eat these nasty salamanders and all this, these foul vultures and eagles and these things that are uh, obviously unclean? Why is he asking me to transgress the law of God? So he says, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice spoke unto him, saying the second time, what God has cleansed, that not, call that not common or unclean. So if we build our entire theology on that one verse right there, that's the argument. You see, you can go ahead and eat salamanders because what God has made clean, we're no longer under the Levitical law. Why are you trying to brag us, drag us back to that Levitical law? Context is important, right? How about we back up a few verses? Let's read the whole story and find out what this vision really meant. We'll go to chapter 10, right at the beginning of the, uh, how the story starts. And there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, 
a centurion of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave him alms to the people and prayed to God always. So what we have here is we have we have a a Roman, a Roman uh, of some consequences, a wealthy Roman who's a centurion, meaning he was in charge of, of uh, a great multitude of men, a commander, so to speak. And he followed and believed in, in the Hebrew God and was very well regarded in the community, very well loved in the community. Well, Cornelius, he saw a vision at about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with, it, he lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and shall tell thee what thou oughtst to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and departed, of devout soldiers with them, and waited, who waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So we have Cornelius, he has a dream. Now, this is a Gentile. And maybe, maybe some of you don't know this, that, you know, the, the Hebrews, they, they wouldn't, uh, they didn't intermingle with, uh, with the Gentiles. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. They weren't allowed in their synagogues. They weren't even allowed to touch them. They weren't allowed to eat with them. They were definitely, uh, there was definitely uh, some racism going on there, some, some division going on there. So Cornelius is going to send three, three dudes to go find Peter. So the next day, or on the morrow, they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. This is where we go right into Peter's vision, right, about this. So what we have here, what's going on in the story, is we've got Peter's up on the roof at his friend's Simon's house, who's a tanner down by the sea, got a seaside villa. He's up there praying. God gives him the vision three times, lowers this great sheet down full of all sorts of unclean and creeping animals. And Peter's up there trying to figure out what's going on, wondering what it is. Well, after the vision's over, knock on the gate. Who do you think who, who do you think's there to come see Peter? Three Gentiles. Do you think the Gentiles were going to be welcome in Simon the Tanner's house, being a Hebrew? I would say not. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius, the centurion, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. So the Spirit says, These three men that are standing down there knocking on the gate, I sent them. They're here to talk to you. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, 
and said, Behold, I am he who seeks what is the cause. Wherefore, where have you come? What are you doing here, and why are you here? And they said unto Cornelius, The centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Hebrews, was warned from God by the holy angel to send for thee into thy house, and to hear words of thee. So God wants Cornelius to hear the gospel from Peter, the apostle. Now, what's significant about this is that this is the very first time that we have record in the, in, in the New Testament of the gospel going to the Gentiles, going to, 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 to anyone outside of the Hebrews. Up until this point, it was kept within the family, so to speak. It was kept, it was not, it was not, uh, it, it was not even in his mindset that he should be preaching to the Gentiles. I mean, they might as well have been lost. This, this message, this gospel, this, um, this good news was given to and for the Jews, right? Not for, not for the Gentiles. So why are three Gentiles at his door? Then called them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them and the centurion brethren from Joppa accompanying him. And the morrow after they entered at Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them, he called them together and his kinsmen and near friends. So Peter went with him. It was a pretty long journey, what did they say there? A couple days, day or two. And uh, shows up and Cornelius anticipating this gathers his whole family together, not only his fr- family, but everyone that he knew. You know, <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a, quite a leap. You know, you don't know what's coming, and, and uh, I guess all he knew was uh, to send these three guys, and they're going to send someone, and he's going to have something good to tell you, right? But he trusted in, in, he trusted in the Lord. And it's amazing, you know, the, when Christ is is marvels at the at the, at the incredible faith a couple different instances in the new testament that in those cases it was often it was gentiles you know he says never never have i ever seen faith like this so here we have cornelius in his house he's got his friends and his family all gathered together and here comes peter with some sort of a message it must be on pins and needles And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, for I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that had come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is. It is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into another man's nation, meaning into a Gentile, a non-Hebrew home that this was forbidden, and this was something, I mean, goodness, Peter was taking a great chance by doing this. If his friends or someone had seen this and reported it, you know, he'd have been in trouble. To keep company or come unto one of another nation, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore come I unto you without gainsay, as soon as I was sent, as soon as I was sent for. So now, let me let, let me put your thinking cap on there. What was the vision about? Was it about uh, spiral ham and it's okay to eat a pork sandwich now? It wasn't about that at all. It had nothing to do with that. 
anyone who makes that argument that this vision that Peter had in the lowering of the sheets is about being released from the Levitical food laws, that's the perspective of a child. It's quite simple. We can see that. You can read it for yourself and understand what that meant was this lowering of the sheet with the unclean animals on it. What that was to tell Peter was, you're about to take the gospel to the Gentile, to a, to a, a new nation, to, to the non-Hebrews. That's what the vision is about. Brothers, I am sick to death in my soul the laziness of many modern people who profess to be Christians and their lack of understanding and knowledge and, and just with the smallest bit of effort, the smallest bit of personal investigation, you can get to the bottom of this. And this is one of many, many stories. I, I could go on for hours about this. It's, it's quite clear that pork is not food. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how, else, how, how I could make it any clearer. But uh, you be the judge. That's just a little bit of a side note right there. Just to give some perspective of what a degrading job this would have been for the for the young prodigal to have to work with these pigs. So, and if a man was keeping pigs, you can bet that he wasn't a Hebrew. He was a Gentile. And, and so even, uh, even further disgrace, not only did he have to feed these filthy animals, but he had to work under a Gentile as well. So the prodigal, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he went into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He was so desperate, he was so hungry, that he would longed and he wished that he could just eat the trash that they were feeding the swine or feeding the pigs. Now keep in, in mind, or bear in mind, that this is during a famine. So you can imagine the quality of the food that was given to the pigs was um, diminished, even from the, stand, the normal low standard. So the point that, that Christ is trying to make here is how depraved and, and how low this, this boy's position, how far he'd fallen. And when he came to himself and he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And here I am, here I perish with hunger. He's thinking, What am I doing here? Thinking back on his father, how what a just man he was, and he was a wealthy man, I'm sure if he had servants and manservants and maid servants, thinking of how well he takes care of his ther- servants, he thought, Boy, my, my dad, even his servants, get a proper meal, way better than this garbage that I'm eating. So he devises a plan. He says, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he came up with a plan. He thought about it and he said, you know, it would be better, I'd be better off to just to go back home. What I've done, you know, it was a small world back then. I'm sure his father and his son, as we see as we finish the story, they knew exactly what he'd been up to. They knew that he had been whoring, he'd been drinking, and he'd been doing all manner of debauchery, a reprobate. 
Word had got around. His reputation was destroyed, ruined. He knew his father, but he just thought to himself, well, it's, there's no chance that I could be reinstated to my current position. Um, I'll just, hopefully, I can, I'll, I've concocted this story and he had it all worked out in his head. And when he saw his dad, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him this. Maybe he'll have mercy on me. Maybe he'll just let me be a servant so at least I can get a meal. I'm not expecting anything more than that. But he didn't know his father very well. You know, growing up in a Christian family, having this, these Gospels and having the Bible for so long, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've read these stories over and over again. And something that's helped me, and this may help you, is when you go back and after reading them so many times, Read these stories with a question in your mind, and the, and the question I, I have in my mind is, what does this tell me about the character of our Heavenly Father? What does this tell us about the character of God? Because this landowner with the two sons, this is representing God himself. And the prodigal son is you and I, those who have tasted the goodness of God, but have walked away and, or fallen away and, or made the decision to leave. And the older brother, which will come in here shortly, is the is the churchman uh, that sits in the pews dutifully doing exactly what he's supposed to do, hoping that if he does the right things, uh, checks all the right boxes, uh, that he'll receive a reward. So the young man, he's got his story straight. He's got uh, he starts heading back, and he's just thinking, all right, I'm if I can if I can get if I can get the story out right, the old man will maybe have mercy on me and let me go hang out with. Uh, with the, with the slaves, with the servants. So he got up, he arose, he quit his job, he rose, and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck. So the son was probably thinking, you know, dad's written me off. He, he knows what I've been up to. Um, there's no way, you know, he's... He's probably said I'm dead to him. But it's interesting that his father saw him a great way off. And what does that tell us? What that tells us is his dad was looking for him and was had always been looking for him and probably climbed up on top of the roof of the house and longed for his son and hoped he would return. And the fact that he saw him for such a great way off, what that tells us, what does that, what does that tell us about the character of God? is that it didn't matter. There wasn't anything his son that could do. There wasn't any degradation that was so low that his father didn't yearn to have his child back. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. He had his prepared speech. He didn't even let his father get a word out. 
before he he dropped that dropped that on him. He wasn't going to take any chances. How he was so desperate. He like I I I can't. I got to say this before my dad starts yelling at me. But what did his father say? His father didn't say a word about that. What his father did was this. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. His father wasn't too interested in his story, was he? I can imagine he maybe even held up his hand, stopped his son in the middle of his story, snapped his fingers. Go get him the best robe in the house, the best one. Put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. His son was so deprived, we don't know this for sure, he may have showed up naked with nothing. What's the significance of the ring? A signet ring, back in those days, could have been a credit card, modern-day credit card. He could have taken that signet ring, which would have had a mark or something similar to that, into town, and that would have been a guarantee against anything that he wanted to purchase. It would have been put on his father's account. So he gave him the best of everything that he had gave him a credit card with no limit, put shoes on his feet, and prepared a party. His father continues, And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Get the calf, fatted calf. What's the fatted calf? Well, that would have been the good steaks. That would have been a calf that had been fed a special diet. Maybe think of veal, maybe a veal calf. Something that would have been saved for, for, uh, for a great honor. It would have been the best, the meat, the best that he would have had to offer um, an honored guest. But yet he offered it up. No, nope, didn't matter. Get the fatted calf, bring the best I've got. We're going to celebrate my son that was lost is now found. This is the character of God. This is how he feels towards us, you, me, any one of us that have betrayed him. Let that sink in a little bit. You think you've fallen too far? You think you've done too much? You think you've walked too far away from from your Heavenly Father? That's not what he says. Now his elder son, his older brother, was in the field. And as he came and it drew nigh to it drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and he asked, What do these things these things mean? They're having a party in the house. 
they got the musicians, they, they, they're putting up the, uh, the candles, they're bringing out the wine, they've killed the fatted calf. They are having a celebration of all celebrations, the greatest celebration they've ever had. And his brother's out in the field hearing this ruckus, and, and he's asked the service, run in there, what's going on? I didn't, you know, I didn't, no one told me we're having a party. Servant returns after seeing what's going on. He's got an intel report, and he says, says unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in, and therefore his father came out and entreated him. The brother was furious. He felt he had been treated unfairly. Here he's thinking to himself, here I am, this whole time, doing everything the old man says, never going against him, hoping if I did all this and I hoping if I walked the path that I would have everything and hear this, my younger brother, who has wasted half of my father's wealth with whoring and drinking and, har- and who knows what, comes back and he's throwing a party? He was incensed. He was so incensed that he wouldn't even join the party. No word got out of that, and his dad came out to to see him and find out what was going on. And he, his father, and he answering said to his father, sorry, the son, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, Neither transgress I at any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. A kid would have been meeting a small goat, would have been something that would have been of way greater, less value than the fatted calf. You know, from the boy, the fatted, if the fatted calf is the Nebraska filet mignon, then the, the, uh, the goat is the, uh, um, the high-fat hamburger in the tube, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not quite the same thing, is it? So he's angry with his father. His father said, and he said, unto him, unto him, unto him, sorry. My mind is not on all this. And, and I went to public school, you know, and I got that working against me. But as soon as this thy son was come, and this is interesting, the boy is still talking. He's not even referring to him as his brother anymore. He's like, as soon as your son comes up here, he's, the brother's disowned his, his own brother. As soon as your son comes up here, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And his dad says, and he said unto him, son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for thy, thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So his brother, who is his brother in the story? Who is that, who is that in real life, I guess? You know, it seems to me that it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the man, the, the church man that, does not know God, but is afraid of the consequences and in thinking 
if I just go to church every weekend, if I just do all these things, if I pay my tithe, yada, 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 then I will earn my way in. He thinks it's not fair. And he won't accept the man, his brother, even though it's his own flesh and it's his own uh, blood. He won't accept it. What a contrast between the father and the older brother. What a contrast between Christ Jesus and the legalist, the the church, the church man, the the religious man. I've experienced this in churches where someone will come in that's maybe not clean. Maybe you've been on the streets for a while. Maybe God has called them in, spoke to their heart. They come in hope, hope, hoping to, to find something, to find some truth, hoping to find God and to be met by the older brother. How many people have lost out or missed out on an opportunity to come to the gospel because of the people that are actually professing to be Christians? I th- I'll close with this. I, I, I think well I guess it just doesn't matter. Recips or locutus, is that what it is? Locutor. The thing speaks for itself. I think the thing speaks for itself. Now do with it what you will. But it's an important story to me. It gives me hope. It gives me tremendous encouragement. It demonstrates how much God loves his children. And sometimes when we look back on our lives and, and we look and you know, take an honest look at how far we've gotten from God and how far we've gotten away from what we know is right that we can build a wall of a wall of separation up that's so great that it's just insurmountable. In our in our in our own minds we think that what's the point? I've gone so far, I've done so much that there's no way or, or, or so many times. You know, I, I I don't have a scripture for this and you know I'm gonna take some liberties with this and this is anecdotal because it's a personal experience. And I'm not saying that you should count on this because it's a dangerous thing to presume. But I'd be willing to bet that if the if the prodigal son repeated this again and again, and if he came back with the same heart, the same sincerity, that I have no question that his father would take him back each time. So don't lose hope. You know, some folks, I've had people ask about the grieving of the Holy Spirit, and they're concerned about that. You know, we, we know those of us, the people of the book, know that the forgivable sin, the one and only forgivable sin, is, is the grieving of the Holy Spirit. I know there are people out there that feel that maybe they have done that, and they think that they're 
they're lost, they don't have any choice. The grieving of the Holy Spirit, how I understand it is that your heart becomes so hard that you no longer care. Your conscience is, for lack of a better word, is seared to the point where it's just so hard that your heart is like a stone. It's just impenetrable. And a person like that doesn't feel their need, doesn't see themselves for what they are. A person like that just no longer cares. So I would tell you this, that if you find yourself or you relate with this with this, this younger son and you are aching in your heart, that's a guarantee that you haven't grieved the Holy Spirit. That's a guarantee because that's God calling you back home. And he's looking for you. He's been looking for you for a long time and he'll see you for a far way off. Now remember that when his, when his dad saw him from a far way off, he ran towards him. He even shortened his journey. I know it's cliche and it's ridiculous, but it really does. The the turning back to God and the the turning back, it starts with just an about face. Just turning a one, doing a 180, that one step. All you've got to take is that one step and he'll run to you. He'll, He'll shorten the distance. Just start walking. Just start walking. Thanks for watching. May God bless you and your families. And we'll see you guys on the next video.